Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. Good to see you here this morning. Turn your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 4. 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 is where we're going to be this morning. 1 Chronicles is one of those books, it's in the midway through the New or the Old Testament, uh, and uh, we're going to be there this morning with the prayer of Jabez. I hope you guys have been enjoying your starting your new year with the seven, we were day seven of our 21 days of prayer. And uh, man, it's just, I've been talking to so many people this week about what, what God has been teaching you, teaching me, and I'm just so encouraged that we're doing this together. I'm not sure how many of you remember signing up for Facebook. Uh, I remember when it was first coming out, I think it was 2006, 2007 is when I first signed up for it. <clears throat> I'm, I'm not on there any longer. I don't think I've been on Facebook since, I think, 2014, so I'm almost 10 years away. So if you've asked to be a friend of mine and I haven't responded, that's why, okay? No, no offense to anyone. I just, I'm not on there anymore. But I remember uh, when, when I first, you know, you sign up your profile and you put in all this data and there's this, there's this one thing. Now, again, this is many years ago, so it was much more simple back then. But it asked relationship status. And I think there was a... There was like four options. You could do single, you could do married, um, divorced. Uh, but there's one option that said it's complicated. Do you remember that? I don't know how many options they give you now. But I, I just remember, you know, you'd have, you could put it's complicated. I remember when people would have their profiles, you know, the, the updates, and so-and-so changed their profile from dating to it's complicated. You're like, ooh, that's not good. Or even worse, married, it's complicated. You're like, oh no. You know, the fact that people would just announce this to the world was always shocking to me. But, but, but that, that it's complicated phrase, I think, really describes our relationship, many of our relationship with prayer. We, we have this idea, like, what, how do you relate, what's your relationship with prayer right now in your life? And if we were to, if we were to choose the options of my relationship with prayer is, you know, you know, thriving, consistent, boring, non-existent, or maybe you would choose it's complicated. You know, you have the sense of prayer's important, and I believe that prayer moves the hand of God, and you have a theology of prayer that you know that God works and moves through prayer, but maybe in your own life, in your own experience, your experience with prayer, seems like there's a gap between my, your theology of prayer and so maybe you've struggled with prayer in your life. Maybe you, you struggle with consistency or you, you struggle with, man, I, I asked God for this for years and nothing ever happened and there's been disappointment. And, you know, so when it comes to prayer, we're starting this year with prayer. Many of you feel like, man, it just, just feels complicated. And, and I remember, you know, one of the... One, one of the things I've talked about this week, especially with a lot of the prayers that we've we studied and read over, I've had multiple conversations with, with people that said, man, it just feels like many of these prayers, and this is a struggle for many people, including me uh, in my own life, is how do you pray for yourself without being selfish? How do you do that? And, and that is one of the great struggles I think that many of us have in our prayer life. What makes it complicated is that there are things that you want, good things that you want for yourself or for your family. And then many times when, you, when those prayers don't get answered, there's frustration with God or with yourself. Maybe I'm not praying right. Or you find out, man, I was just doing this for selfish reasons. I remember those, I had a moment in my life that was truly life-changing in, in the middle of prayer one time. And I, I believe I've shared this story before. 
but, but again, it's just a perfect example of what we're talking about this morning. I was, I was on my knees praying. I'd planted a church uh, with my wife and my family in, back in 2006 over in Denver. And the church was about three years old, and it was struggling. It was not doing well. It, 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 all of my hopes and dreams of what this church was supposed to be was not happening in reality. And I remember being on my knees. It was like the summer of 2009. I was just on my knees, just crying out to God, God, I, I, just help us to grow as a church save souls. We want to see people baptized. I want to see people's lives changed. I was praying really good churchy things. And I remember there just pouring out my heart for God and God met me in a very profound way. And he confronted me and said, Ben, all you want is a lot of people in a big room listening to you talk for an hour a week. And I'm not in that. In that moment, God confronted my own heart I was asking for a lot of good things, but I was asking for a lot of good things selfishly. And God met me in that moment. And and I believe that for many of us, the struggle of praying for good things, God things, praying things for our family, praying things for our marriage, praying things for ourselves, we pray for these things. But the question is, am I praying for myself selfishly? And I believe this, what what has transpired is I think from my experience talking with many people and my own experiences, many times we are either hesitant to pray, like I'm just not going to pray for myself because I'm afraid I'm going to ask with wrong motives. Or, you know, it's just something that, you know, it just freezes you and I'm not sure what to do about this. And I believe what the prayer Jabez does, what this prayer, what we're going to study this morning does is it teaches us that there's a way to pray for yourself without being selfish. At first glance, when you read this prayer, it feels like what Jabez is praying for is like, God, I want these things and give them to me. And God gave it to him. Now, now I remember, if if you're older than 30, potentially you are familiar with the prayer of Jabez craze that hit around the turn of the millennia back in 2000. How many of you remember reading the prayer of Jabez? Okay. It, 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 was, it was just this thing. It came on the scene in 2000. Bruce Wilkerson, who had, it, uh, had had this ministry, walked through the Bible, and he wrote this book, and it just caught like wildfire across the evangelical church. Sold, sold nine million copies. The little, it's a little tiny book. And I just remember prayer Jabez stuff was everywhere. You walked into Lifeway and it was like prayer of Jabez coffee mug, prayer of Jabez pens, prayer of Jabez, you know, t-shirts. I mean, everything was prayer Jabez. And I, I remember being as a young pastor, young youth pastor, like I just don't, I hate ter- herd mentality kind of stuff. If I see everyone going over here, I'm like, I'm just not going to go over there. So I just never got into it, never read the book, never. I was just kind of like, eh, just. But I remember during that time, you had this, craze of the prayer of Jabez. And, and the people that were for, that were pro-prayer of Jabez within the church were like, man, this, this is great. It teaches you how to pray boldly and to pray with faith. And the other, the detractors and the critics were saying, man, what, what this book is doing is it's teaching people to treat God like a cosmic slot machine. You, you just put in your prayers and God, you know, you pull the handle and God has to bless you. And it just, you, I was hearing these messages and, and man, to be honest with you, I just kind of shoved the prayer of Jabez aside and said, I'm never going to touch that thing. 
There's just, it's just too, it's just too, too many people have opinions on it. And, and so when we committed to doing this, this 21 days of prayer, reading through the book, and, and um, I made this decision, hey, when, when we're at the day of the, of the month for the prayer, I'm going to preach on that prayer. And then I opened up the book and looked on what was day seven. And it's the prayer of Jabez. It's like, oh no, I committed to do something that I promised myself I would never do. So you're getting a fresh take of the prayer of Jabez from me. I've never read the book. Um, and, and I just, I just, I gotta be honest with you. As much as I had this baggage of, man, I don't want to get caught up in this, this kitschy evangelical thing. I, I, I was, when I was read, when I, after reading and studying this prayer, man, I God's taught me some things. And I just kept getting more and more excited to share with you what God was teaching me. And, and it really comes down to this, that I believe that for you and for me and for all of us, there's a way to pray for yourself without being selfish. That's the main idea I want to give you this morning. There's a way to boldly pray for yourself without being selfish. It's a complicated issue that we all struggle with. There's not a person in this room that has not prayed for things for themselves without, without finding out later, man, that was really for me and not for God. Just like for me, as I was praying that prayer that morning, like when God convicted my heart, it was kind of like, man, I can't remember when I got into the other lane where this was about me and not God anymore. But it happened, and it happens. And so how do we do that? I believe this prayer gives us a roadmap and a framework for how to pray for ourselves without being selfish. And so, so we're going to look at these, these three components that we can find in this prayer. The first is the character of the person. The, the, second, the second component is the, the content of our prayers. And then thirdly, it's, going to, it's about the commitment from God or the commitment for God. And so we're going to look at the first is the character of the person. And, and before I begin, notice it's in the middle of, you got, there's something you've got to learn as we're studying this prayer that is very important. For example, um, this, it's in the middle of a genealogy. And what do you typically do when you come across a genealogy in the Bible? Some of you are reading through the Bible and are like, genealogy? Switch. Like, I just, I don't need to know this kind of stuff. I don't need to know whose father is this father and this father. But here's the thing you need to understand about the word of God, okay? In, every, in, 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 in genealogy is theology. Write that down. Within every genealogy, there is theology. Go all the way back to one of the very first genealogies in Genesis chapter, you know, the first parts of, of Genesis. In, in the middle of this genealogy, you have this Enoch walked with God and he was no more. Go to the genealogy of Jesus in the book of Matthew, and there's this, this person beget this person, oh, and there's a woman there. Four times it mentions a woman. Within every genealogy in Scripture, there is theology. And so what happens is you're going across this genealogy just expecting, and this, and this, and this, and all of a sudden, bam, narrative, explanation, person. And that's exactly what's happening here. There's, there's a theological statement that the author is, is making in the statement. And it's important for us to understand something, that every book of the Bible is written to an audience. You cannot under, really understand the Bible and the context of the, of the messages in the Bible without understanding who is the audience, who is the author, what is the occasion of this written in. You know, so, for example, you can't just pull out a Bible verse and say, this is what it means to me. That is horrible Bible study. 
What you have to do is why was this book written for the audience that was written in and what is it trying to say? For example, First Chronicles was written to a group of Jews that were coming out of, of exile, coming from Babylon. They had gone through you know, the, the history of the nation of, of the people of Israel. You know, they have the patriarchs, and you have Egypt, and, and God calling his people out of slavery, out of bondage, into the promised land. And when they get to the promised land, it is a, it is a complicated relationship with Yahweh because they keep serving other gods. And for, for centuries, they just it's this ebbs and flows of following God. And eventually, they do enough sin where God says, I have to punish you. I have to bring justice on you. And he sends them for 70 years into captivity. Chronicles is a historical retelling of the people of God post-exile. The chances of this of First Chronicles being written by someone like Ezra is very strong. There's no, you know, we don't really know for sure, but but we know Chronicles was written for the for the people of God that are coming back into the land. This is different from First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, which was written before the exile. So that's important. You've got to have, understand what's going on here within the context of who it's written to. The second thing you can, you've got to understand is that this, this narrative, all of a sudden, if you look and see the people around the narrative, Jabez was most likely someone that lived around the time of the conquest of the children of Israel going into the promised land. Okay, Because you have people like Caleb and Othniel that are mentioned right after Jabez. So what that means is this Jabez is a man who came into the land from slavery or from, from the wilderness written to a people that were coming into the land from exile. That is very important. You have to understand that's the context around what has been said about Jabez. But, but, but the first thing we need to understand about Jabez is his character. What, what makes Jabez's prayer so effective, I believe one of the main components is the character of Jabez. I look again at verse, verse 9. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. Now, th- there's something here that we have to, you know, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of things about Jabez we don't know, but he, we get enough content in this verse to understand a couple things about Jabez. Number one, it says he was more honorable than his brothers, which means the environment in the family he grew up in was most likely not a good one. If he was more honorable than his brothers, then what, is the, what can you deduce from that? That his brothers were what? Not honorable. If you grow up in a family where everyone around you is, has a certain value system, certain way of living, chances are you're going to live like that. And not only did he live in an environment where his brothers were more dishonorable, But we also have his very beginning where it says, his mother named him Jabez because I bore him in pain. Now, that is a really interesting, um, you know, whenever you go back and see when when mothers name their children for things, especially because of sorrow, we see this in the story of Rachel naming Benjamin Ben-Onai as opposed to, and and Jacob renames him Ben-Yamin, son of my right hand. Um, but the, you see sometimes out of negative things happening, they'll get a name expressing something of, of pain and sorrow. Here's the thing that's interesting about this word pain. This word pain, when it's used in its Hebrew expression, about 95% of the time it's describing emotional sorrow because of something bad, evil, or sinful that's happened to that person. Okay, 
So I, I don't believe, I mean, people say what well, could be, chances are, you know, she, maybe she was having a hard labor and she named them Jabez because of pain. Well, listen, all of you women who are mothers know that's normal. It's not, you know, it's not like she was surprised that all of a sudden she was having pain in childbirth. Well, I'm mad at this kid now. No, no, there, there was something, I think, emotional pain, emotional sorrow that, that Jabez's mother felt towards Jabez. And we don't know all the circumstances, but can you imagine this? The very thing, the very first thing about your life that you know is that you cause your mother pain. Your very existence was a reminder of some kind of painful, sorrowful memory. We don't know what that is. But here's what we do know. Jabez had every reason to not follow God. He did. He, you know, whether it was his mother, what his mother thought about him, the environment of his brothers, he had, he, the cards were stacked against him. You know, one of the things that I've studied and going back and getting my, my master's degree in, psych, in counseling psychology is, you know, there's this huge debate between what is more important in the forming of a person or forming of a child, is it nature or nurture? Have you heard of that before? You know, you know is, it, it, is the DNA, the epigenetics important, or is it the environment which is important? And there's debates on either side of what is more, which more you know, important for the forming of a person's values and identity and all those kinds of things. I believe they're equally important. They're very important. Both are very important. And here's what we know about Jabez. He had both going against him. Both of those things. Both, both the nature and the nurture were things in Jabez's life where he's like, this isn't good. Yet who was he? It says he was an honorable man. This word, that word honorable means he, he did, he accomplished something of, of great righteousness and accomplishment. He did something very good in his, with his life. And I think there's something to be said about this, that, that God cares about our righteousness when it comes to our prayers. This is very important. The reason why I believe that Jabez is by God answered and listened to his prayers is because Jabez was able to overcome. He was able to overcome the, the environment of his family, the nurturing of his family, and just say, listen, there's a lot of things going on here, but I need to follow God. I need to follow Yahweh. See, in every one of our lives, there are things that we can point to and say, well, I'm not... I, I'm not this, I, I, I can excuse my sin. I can excuse my, my behavior because of this issue in my life. All of us, all of us can point to and say, my parents screwed me up, right? Or, or I, you know, I grew up in, in a home or environment that was like this. I had friends that led me down the wrong direction. We, we could have, we have all the excuses that we want to blame shift. And this is part of the human nature because what happens to the very few first humans when they're confronted by God saying, why did you disobey me? Uh, it's the woman you gave me. God looks at the woman. It's that serpent over there. We love to blame people for our fault, for what we do wrong. And what we've got to do is, is boldly look at ourselves and say, is there, are there things in my life? Are there sins? Is there unrighteousness? Is there evil in my life that I need to confront and get rid of? Because let me tell you, your own personal righteousness affects the way God hears your prayers. The Bible's very clear about this. This is not something we typically hear on a Sunday morning. And, and, and this, does, this doesn't have to do with our, you know, us earning our way to heaven. We know that we are saved by grace through faith. 
And there's this idea of being justified through Jesus Christ, that we are declared righteous. But there's also a very practical living of righteousness that God cares about, saying, yes, I want you to be justified, but I also want you to be holy and clean. And it's, if that is not aligned with God's heart, we, we, our prayers will be affected. I want you to see these verses that are throughout the Bible that talk about how our righteousness affects God's, God's answering to our, to our prayers. Look, look at the first one, Psalm 66, 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Isaiah 1, 15. When, this is God speaking. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. I will not listen. Your, your hands are full of blood. James 4, 3, you ask and do not receive because you, wrong, you ask wrongfully to spend it on your passions. On the flip side, look at, look at James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. And then lastly, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Throughout the Bible, there's a common theme that God tries to teach us, and that is this. If you are living in your own way, if you're holding on to sin, if there's a hardness in your heart towards God and saying, you know what, God, you can have 90% of my life, but I want this idol over here. I, this is my pet sin, and don't you touch it. That affects God's you know, application of answering our prayers. He says it right here over and over and over again. But when we are righteous, when we are walking with him, then God, there's something about when, when the righteous person prays, God's like, yes. Why is that? Because when we are living righteously, what happens? Our heart is aligned to him. Our heart's aligned to him. We talked about this last week. One of the ways, reasons why we're doing this is because we want our hearts aligned to his heart. And a person who's walking in righteousness is saying, God, I want your values. I want, I want, I want to live the way you want me to live. I don't want to live the way that I was taught to live. I don't want to live the way that's natural to me. I want to live according to your holiness. That matters to God. And it impacts and affects our prayers. That's number one, the character of Jabez. He was an honorable man. Number two, the content of our prayers matters. The content of our prayers matters. Look again in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10. There are four things that Jabez prays for. I want you to see if you can pick up on them. It says, And Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. Okay, so what are the four things? That God, that you would bless me, that you would enlarge my territory. That was today's prayer in the book. Number three, that your hand would be upon me, and then lastly, that you would keep me or deliver me from harm, or a better translation I think is evil, right? So it would not bring me pain. Four things he's prays for. Now, why, why would Jabez pray for those four things? Again, we can read those and say, man, that sounds really selfish. Enlarge my border. It's like, God, give me a bigger yard, bigger house, bigger wife. I, I don't know. It's just like, I just want bigger. Bigger is it. Now, that, 
there's something here that he's praying. There's things that he's praying for that God loves, okay? The content of these prayers might sound selfish to you, but they are not. Again, who is this written to? Exiles coming into the land. And, 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 and the author of First Chronicles is making sure, do you have the heart of God again? Why, again, going back to our previous point, why was their righteousness so important? Because their unrighteousness sent them into exile. Are these, are these people going back into the land going to have the heart and the honor like the people that came into the land? And, and so now it's like the content of these prayers. And here's the four things I think is so fascinating. If you study from Exodus to Deuteronomy of, of the history and the nature of what happened from, the, from God delivering his people into the conquest of, of the land, you see these four requests everywhere. Okay, For example, that God would bless him, that God would bless me. Well, what do you see from God? God is a God that says, I want to bless you. From the very beginning of the Garden of Eden, that he blesses Adam and Eve. One of the most powerful blessings that we read in all of Scripture is found in Numbers chapter 6 when Moses is teaching the Israelites to pray this prayer. Pray this to the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. What is he saying? God's saying, there's a blessing that God wants to give his people. I can't remember what day it was this week in our reading, but the, the, the author, Dave Early, mentioned something else. Many times, the way we approach God is that God is up in heaven and being like, yeah, I'll see if I want to give you some good stuff. But no, God is a God who wants to give. He's always extending grace. He's always extending favor. He's saying, I want to give you the fullness of who I am. The fullness of my face, the fullness of my attention, the fullness of my favor. I want to give this to you. You know, my kids and I, we were talking the other day about the Sistine Chapel. I don't know how it came up, but we were talking about that, that painting that Michelangelo painted. Me, me might, not, might not know this, but Michelangelo had never really painted anything before in his life. The Sistine Chapel was the very first thing he ever painted. That's pretty impressive. But, but at the hallmark, at the center of that work in the Sistine Chapel, you, it's the very classic image of God the Father extending his finger like this, and you see Adam's hand. It's a very famous picture that you'll see many times. And the finger of God is extended completely straight. And the finger of Adam is bent crooked. And what Michelangelo was saying with that picture was this, God is always extending himself to his creation and to his people. God is always saying, I am here, and I want you to know me, and I want you to know my love, and I want you to know my blessings, and I want you to know my grace. And we as men are bent or inclined to not accept. We are the ones who have to you know, lift up our finger to touch God's, and we cannot do that on our own. We need God to actually help us to desire who he is. But that picture right there, I think, I love that, because what it's saying is God wants to bless you. God, and I'm not talking, when we hear blessing, a lot of times we, it's, that word blessing has become so perverted towards physical things, like the Joel Osteen way of blessing. We're not talking about Joel Osteen blessings here, people. We're talking about biblical blessings. The blessing of God is about his face, his favor, his grace, his peace. But it's rooted in him, not in things. 
And so to ask for God's blessing, that's, it aligns with what Jabez had heard Moses and, and teach. This is what God wants to do. Number two, that God would enlarge his border. Now write down these two passages. We don't have time to talk about them, but Exodus 34, 24. Exodus 34, 24 and Deuteronomy 12, 20. God, in those two passages, Exodus 34, 24 and Deuteronomy 12, 20, God speaks his desire that his people would enlarge their borders. This is what God wants for his people. What, what We have the story of the, of the 12 spies who go into the land. Moses sends out these 12 spies. We're at, they're at the precipice of the land to go in and take the land. And what, what do the, well, out of the 12 spies, only two come back and say, man, this land is great. It's going to be hard. Yes, there are giants, but God will be with us to give us this land. And what are the other 10 spies? Oh, this is too hard. We don't want that land. Let's go back to Egypt and be slaves. God was desiring to give his people this, this land. Why? Because he wanted to extend his presence. If they were his people, through him, his presence, his kingdom, his glory to expand throughout the world. To ask God to expand my territory was not, I want a bigger yard. It was saying, I want, God, I want your presence here and now. Enlarge my borders. May, it, it was, it's the same thing as asking God, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he's asking for, enlarge my borders. Number three, that God's hand would be with him. Throughout the Exodus story and throughout the wilderness, you see the image of God's hand. It's always God's hand against Pharaoh's hand during, the, during that period of time. And it's God's hands of protection. So you have these, these themes of God's power and God's provision and God's protection of his people. And so when Jabez is saying, God, I want your hand upon me, what he's saying is, God, I, there are all these things I want to do, all these things I want to see up in my life, but I need you. I need you to do it. You know, I, I can't do this on my own. Unless your hand is upon me, I can't accomplish anything. This prayer for God's hand was a prayer of dependence. You know, many times what we do is we do, we have our plan, we have our process, we have our strategy, we go at it and say, oh God, can you do this? Can you help me do this? What, what, what Jabez was crying out for is, God, I can't do this without you. I need your power and your provision in my life. And then lastly, that's the last thing he prays for, that God would deliver him from harm or from evil so that he would not have pain. Now notice, that word pain is the same exact word for pain that his mother felt. And, and I believe what, what Jabez was saying is, God, keep me from evil. I have seen in my life the, the, the heartache and the pain and the sorrow that comes when people disobey you. We all have a story like that. In every single one of our lives, the testimony of every human being is this, that there are, there's, there's, I have gone my own way. I've, I've rebelled against God. I've done my own thing. And because I have done my own thing and because I've rebelled against God and I've sinned against God, I have brought pain upon myself and I've brought pain and sorrow upon other people. Every sin that is ever committed by any human being is like a grenade with shrapnel. And maybe you don't mean to hurt other people, but every selfish, sinful evil, wicked thing that any of us ever does, it doesn't just affect you, it affects people around you. And what Jabez is saying is, God, I have felt the sorrow. 
I have seen and experienced the pain. And what I'm asking for you to do now is to redeem my life. Redeem my family. I came from this, but now I need you to deliver me from evil. That's the cry. That should be the cry of every single one of us. God, deliver me. Save me. I need you to redeem my, where I've come from. I need you to break these chains of sin in my family. I need you to help me overcome what, what I've been through. So, Because whether it's, whether it's been sin done to you or sin that you have done to others, all of us need God's deliverance. We need God's salve to heal us from the sorrow that sin has, has created in our lives. And, and so what we see here is Jabez is praying for things that he knows God wants. That's why we can say, if we want to pray boldly for ourselves and not be selfish, we need to see, God, what do you want? Throughout Scripture, we see what God wants. Do we pray, God, we want what you want? I want what you want in your own way. That's what he's saying. And one of the things... Uh, I always love to do, ask people, you know, what's your favorite Christmas gift? And I asked that question at our staff this past week and as we met at our staff meeting and, and uh, just love hearing stories of what everyone's favorite gift was. And here's something I find very interesting. Most people will talk about their favorite gift being not the most expensive or the biggest gift, but the gift that was the most thoughtful, right? Now, I, I got to be honest with you, confession time. I think I've shared this with you before, but I am not the best gift giver. I'm just not. You know, my wife's love language gifts is like number one. I don't know why God always does this. You know, you always take these, these, these tests as couples, and you're like, I'm the exact opposite of you, right? <laughs> like, how did this happen? And God's like, ha, 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 I'm trying to teach you sanctification, right? But it always happens. I've never met any couple that's just like, we have the same love language. It's awesome, you know? So it's like, her top is my bottom. And like, well, how, why does God do that? Because he's teaching you how to love, right? And here's what I've learned about good gift givers. Because people are sharing the story. It's like someone heard I said this this one time, and they went back and they got this gift. And I've had to learn you know, I, that how to listen to my wife. She'll say these comments. I'm like, oh, after 25 years of marriage, I'm starting to get it. Like how to like pay attention to things. And, and, and I think that's, that's what Jabez is doing. You know, if, we, if we see, if, if, if it's true that Jabez in the, in the history of this, of this genealogy is one of these people that went into the conquest, he had seen and experienced through the, the wilderness experience and he had heard and seen, what does God want? And he says, I want that for me. What God wants for us, I want for me. God bless me. And, and God is saying for these people that are now coming back into the exile, I want you to have the same heart. You, you've been through a lot. You've been through Babylon. You've grown up in Babylon. Will you now desire what I desire? So this doesn't happen again. Can you redeem us from the pain we have felt in Babylon, just like you redeemed you know, them before from the pain of, it, of Egypt? And, and so you see, God, you know, the content of our prayers matters because we have to make sure we are desiring the same things that God desires. That is vital. And that leads us to our last point, and that is the commitment of God. The commitment of God. 
I, I see this last sentence. We, we've looked at the character of Jabez. We've looked at the content of Jabez's prayers. Lastly, that last sentence, look in verse 10. Verse 10, the last sentence there. And God granted what he asked. I don't know about you. When I read that, there's something inside of me that's just like, yes, God, that's what I want for my life. I want to be able to say, and I've seen, listen, I, there's things in my life I can say, God, God granted to me my requests. But there's always something in our lives that we're saying, God, I want to see you move. And, and here's what I know. The reason why God answered these requests, granted what, what Jabez wanted, is because it is what God wanted. And not only that, it's what God has always wanted. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, okay, what did God, what was God doing? He was blessing Adam and Eve. What does he say after his initial blessing? Be fruitful and multiply. That same word, be fruitful and multiply, multiply, is the same word that Jabez uses here for enlarge my territory, increase, multiply. It's what God's always wanted, that your hand would be upon me, your presence, your power. What do we see with, in the, with God in the Garden of Eden? His desire to be close, to be intimate, fellowship with, his human, with, the, with the human beings that bear his image. And so what we see is what God has always wanted for his people, for his creation. And not only is this what God's wanted from the beginning, it's not what God has wanted for his people in Egypt, it's not what he's wanted for his people in, in, you know, coming from the exile. This is what God wants for all humanity. You know why I know this? Because every single one of these four requests became fully completed and accomplished through the person of Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus Christ that we receive the, the, the fullness of the blessings of God. What does it say in Ephesians 1 verse 3? That he's blessed us through Christ, in Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We know from, from the book of Galatians that when God promises Abraham, I'm going to bless all nations through you, we see in Galatians that who is the promise, the fulfillment of that promise, that covenant blessing? It is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who, who, when he is ascending, saying, all power and authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. The, 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 the enlarging the borders, it, it's all mine now. My kingdom come, my will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That we now, through Christ, walk into every environment, in every place, in every city, in every neighborhood, in every home, and say, Jesus, we want this place for you. Through Jesus, we have not just his hand upon us, he has given to us the fullness of his spirit to indwell in us that we might be a, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And not only that, Jesus is the one who through the cross took on our pain, our sorrow, our raw, our evil, our wickedness. And it's through Christ that delivers us and gives us a new name, gives us salvation, gives us hope. Everything that Jabez prayed for is accomplished perfectly through Jesus Christ. And if you want what Jabez wanted, you cannot have that apart from Jesus. You cannot have that apart from Jesus. He is the one that perfectly fulfills these desires for us. 
And, it, and God wants, God wants to be close to you. God wants to deliver you from sin. God wants to bless you. And so what we have to ask ourselves is this. Do I want things from God or do I want God? And in the content of our prayers, in the commitment to God, God is always committed to giving us himself. You know, there's a lot of things we can ask God for. But ultimately, what God wants to give us is him. I want to take you back to my bedroom as I was praying that prayer and God confronted me in that moment. I got to be honest with you. It was, it was, I just wept. Like I said, it was one of the defining moments of my life, one of the turning points in my life I can look back on where God just came in and just, just took a hold of my heart and said, it's time for you to stop doing this for yourself in your own ways. There's a lot of things that had to die in my, inside of me in that moment. And, and it's, it's, I find it fascinating. If I was, you know, going back from 2006 to 2009, it was like I was planting a church in my own strength in my own way. And it was miserable. And from 2009 to 2000, 2012, in the, in the next three years, it was like night and day. Dozens of people come to know Christ, baptisms, church growth, Church plant, we planted a church out of our, we just saw the hand of God move. It was like God was waiting for me to get out of the way. But God was waiting for me, I will give you this until, but I will not give this to you if you think this is about you. I will give you this blessing. I will give you all of these things that you want, but I want to make sure that my glory is not going to be robbed. And it's it just, to me, the commitment of God. He's committed to you. He's committed to himself. And I just love the fact that, that Jesus is the one who gives us everything we need. You know, if you look back at all these prayers we prayed this week, give me success, bless me, remember me, give me a sign. These are all prayers that we tend to make. I can pray these things, and I can either pray them for the glory of God or I can pray them for myself. And here's the true test of that, the true test of whether or not you know, am I praying this with selfish motives? Am I praying boldly for myself selfishly, or am I praying this for God's glory? Is how willing you are to submit to God's timing. If you are willing to be patient and wait and say, God, I want this really good thing, but ultimately what I want is your glory. And if it means making me wait longer so that you receive more glory, then that is okay with me. That's when we know. That's when we know it's about him and not us. And that's what we, that, that's, that's what we know that's what was, Jabez was about. God could say, and he granted what he asked for. He granted him his requests. Because he knew Jabez was not going to be someone who's going to spend all of God's blessing on himself, but for others. Three questions and then we're done. Number one, what sin do you need to boldly confront to live a life of honor and righteousness? You know, maybe there might be people in this room, I don't know if this is you, but you have been excusing and blame shifting your sins in your life 
for far too long. And what God is asking you to do today, what the Holy Spirit is asking you to do today is to get serious about the sin that you've allowed to fester inside of you. It does impact our prayers. And I pray to God that we start taking our own personal righteousness seriously. If we want to see God move, we have to learn how to consecrate ourselves. That word consecration means to become holy. And so we're saying, God, I'm going to set myself apart from the sin. And God, I want you to have complete control of my, my life, my heart, my mind, my soul. Have, we, have you done that today? That's number one. Number two, are the requests you are asking for aligned with what God wants? Are, 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 you, are you, when you're reading God's word and saying, man, this is what God wants, I want. When I hear God speak, when God speaks in his word of the things that he loves to bless, man, that's what I want. When I read about Nehemiah's you know, heart being broken and weeping over the, the, where he is in, his, in Jerusalem, man, do I break? Does my heart break for my city like that? For my people like that? These are the things we have to confront ourselves and saying, are my requests aligned with who God is and what God wants? And number three, are you trusting in God to respond in his timing? God is committed. He is committed to his people and he's committed to himself. And he will only give to us the things that we ask for when, we, when he knows it will be about his glory, not our own. Why are you trusting in his timing? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And what I'd like to do before I close our time in prayer is just ask you to, to let the Holy Spirit speak to you right now. You've heard me speak a lot. Now it's time for the Holy Spirit to speak. Number one, what's the sin that you need to confront in your own life? What is it? What is, it, what is that thing in your life that the Holy Spirit is now saying, it's time for you to confront this? And not only has he given you that sin, but who are you, who are you going to invite into your life to help you with that? Don't just acknowledge it and walk away. But do something about it. What is the request that needs to change, die, or be rebirthed because of what God wants? Maybe it's a prayer you've been praying for for years and your frustration with God, maybe with yourself, is it's complicated. Maybe there's a new prayer he wants you to pray or pray with new expectation. And lastly, maybe you're sitting here this morning in the fullness of the blessing of Jesus. You've never received that because you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never placed your faith in him for what he did for you on the cross. And I want to invite you to do that today. God is not withholding anything from you. He is extending his hand out to you now to say, will you come to me? Don't harden your heart. In this, where you're sitting, you can receive Jesus as your Savior. Understanding he paid the ultimate price for your sins on the cross, died the death you deserved, yet overcame and rose from the dead. If you want to know more about that or how to place your faith in Jesus, come see me. Come see, talk to one of our prayer team members out in the lobby because we want you to receive the fullness of the blessing 
that God can give to you through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray as we leave here this this morning, God, captivate our hearts to pray bolder prayers. And, And God, even praying boldly for ourselves, knowing that God, we can look at Jabez and pray things for ourselves, but not in a selfish way. Help us to be a church that, that, that knows how to do that. That it's about you and not us. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.